0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. You know what it is? Episode 72. For the love of the game, let's roll.
0: Can't when I come through home to Some shoes gotta be 20 men It's not even funny they can not It's so cold, too tight The left looks too right You know what you right These can't look, look They hearts racing They start chasing But I'm so fast When I blow past That they can't In the presence of the man Your future look better than your past If you present with the man You're better Can't share my air, I walk a mile in the pair I wear, and I'm getting better year by year, like they say, why do? Cops couldn't smell me if you brought the chain lines through, and I pace myself. I know these money, hungry we want to taste my wealth, but I keep them on a diet, embrace their health, or even keep them on a quiet and space myself.
1: All right, all right, all right, episode 72 for the love of the game. It is a gorgeous day on a Sunday. Beautiful day in New York City, March 8th. How's it going, everybody? Super excited to be back in the studio, back behind the mic. It is March, which means we've got a lot of stuff going on in the world of sports. We've got hockey playoffs uh, coming down the stretch, stretch run the NHL season, the Rangers, after having an unbelievable win against the Washington Capitals, where Mika Zabanajad had five goals and scored the overtime game winner. They had a crushing loss last night to the New Jersey Devils. That can't happen. Um, Really brutal loss for the Rangers, but they're still in the thick of things. NHL playoffs are around, around the corner. Then we've got March Madness. We have the conference tournaments are coming up. Just an exciting time. Two of my favorite days of the year, the first Thursday, Friday of the NCAA tournament, that weekend is just the best, even though I'm not a big, huge college basketball guy, I prefer the NBA, we all know why, but March Madness, awesome, awesome every year, regardless of the level of play, the NBA is heating up, we had a bunch of big games over the last couple of days, we had the Rockets and the Clippers, which we we're going to talk about. We had the Bucks and the Lakers, which we we're going to talk about. And in a, just a couple of minutes, it's going to tip off. We've got Clippers-Lakers at Staples, which is awesome. Three uh quick NBA thoughts. Uh, and um, we're going to play the segment of Asshole of the Day NBA edition. Bronze medalist, we've got Draymond Green. Draymond Green, who I'm a fan of, uh, basically calls out Charles Bar- Barkley saying that He's not educated enough to talk about the NBA in a high level, that he doesn't have rings, that he's not smart enough to sit at that table. Draymond, I love you as a player, man. I've argued in multiple WhatsApp groups about the NBA that at one point for a three-year stretch, you were a top 15 NBA player. You're more important to the Warriors than anybody gives you credit for. But my guy, Charles Barkley, is the best at what he does in the business. All right, Not because he's necessarily the best basketball mind, but he's the best on TV. And also, he happens to be a pretty smart basketball guy. For you to say that he's never won rings, that he can't talk about the NBA, that's like saying that Dan Marino can't talk about quarterback play. Charles is a top 25 player to ever play in this league. He was an MVP in this league. Draymond, if he played with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson in his prime, he would have won a title if you put... Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, that 93 Phoenix Suns teams, they're winning a title. So Draymond Green calling out Charles Barkley. He's a bronze medalist for asshole of the day. Silver medalist, asshole of the day. Kyrie Irving, what a surprise. Kyrie Irving has infected another team. Kenny Atkinson and the Nets mutually agreed to, uh, to part ways. Kenny Atkinson, a very good coach, by the way. Uh, decided that he didn't want to coach Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Reports have said that it was over uh, playing time for their buddy DeAndre Jordan, and that Kyrie Irving had soured early on uh, in the year, soured on Kenny Atkinson. Kyrie Irving, who's missed basically the whole year, and uh, his play doesn't translate to winning. But yeah, sure, Kyrie Irving can tell the organization that what they should do with the coach. Reports say they want Tyronn Lue. Uh, Who Kyrie Irving soured on? Before, when he wanted to get out of Cleveland. So, Kyrie Irving, just an asshole. Normally, he'd be the gold medalist, but today he's the silver, silver medalist. And the gold medalist for Asshole of the Day NBA edition is the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks, as I've said before, can win this every single day of every single year, basically. We had the situation with Spike Lee, their most prominent fan, most prominent season ticket holder. The issue with uh, the door, uh, Spike Lee coming in and out of uh, a certain entrance that he shouldn't be using—that's for uh, players and staff only. He should be using the other celebrity entrance. Now, should Spike Lee a- adhere to the rules and use and not use a special entrance? Yes, I agree. And is Spike Lee playing the victim card a little bit? Yes, that's for sure. Is he uh, does he have ulterior motives? Yes, but the New York Knicks. Cannot let this get to a point. You are seen by everybody around the league as a laughing stock. And even if they may be in the right on this, it is your job to change the perception of your franchise to not be a laughing stock. You just hired Leon Rose, who I actually think was a good hire because he's connected to a lot of really, really high end NBA players and NBA people. You can't let this situation, even if you're in the right, get to a point where it's gotten and it's gotten public. You can't let that video of him, you know, basically being escorted out, get out there. You have to keep this in-house. You can't let this go public. That's what competent organizations do. And year after year, day after day, under this regime, under Dolan's reign, Not Charles Dolan. Jim Dolan, I should add. The Knicks don't act like a competent organization. For once, just act competently, even if you're in the right. So the Knicks take the gold medal, asshole of the day. Before we get into today's interview, because uh, I have a really, really awesome interview on tap for today, and we're probably going to run long. One quick thing. Uh, I know uh, it's March Madness, and everybody's thinking about the NCAA tournament, uh, D1 basketball. But i got to give a special, special shout-out, a special shout-out to my alma mater, the Yeshiva University basketball team. Now, I am a not-so-proud alum of Yeshiva University. I'm on record saying it's my biggest regret in life is going to Yeshiva University. But having said that, their basketball team right now, after last night's win... Has won 29 straight games. They won their conference. For the second time ever. They are in the. D3 national. NCAA basketball tournament. The D3 tournament. For the second time ever. And last night after winning again. They are now in the sweet 16. Of that tournament. This is an unbelievable ride. An unbelievable ride. And again. I I will mention again. I was late to this party, because I am a not-so-proud alum of Yeshiva University, but I have to admit that I have the fever right now. I have max fever. I've watched the last three to four games, and I've gotten extremely animated in these games. They're a fun team to watch. They play a fun brand of basketball, and it, and as a Jewish guy, it is really awesome to see that, you know, us Jews get some shine for athletic achievement. It's been so much fun to watch. So much fun. I, I, I can't stress how animated I've been getting during these games. And, and a quick shout out to Ryan Terrell, their star forward. Friday, in his first ever tournament game, what does this kid do? Uh, he's a 6'7 forward with guard-like skills with a, a drop-step post game. I mean, just, I'm so impressed by him, but in his first ever Playoff game, you know, tournament game, big time now, right? Now we're in the big leagues. We're not just in the Skyline Conference. Now we're in the big leagues. What does this guy go out and do? All he does is shoot 13 for 16, 7 and 9 from 3, 8 for 10 from the line, 41 points. I don't care what level of basketball you're playing. To shoot like that, that's getting buckets at an insane, insane clip. Just an insane clip. And then, how does he follow up that game? Last night's game, I spent my Saturday night watching it. What does he do? He shoots 11 for 15, 30 points with another win. I have YU Max Basketball fever. Their big man, their center, lifer, went for a triple-double last night. And he went for a triple-double in the game, clinching their conference championship. I really, I'm having so much fun watching this team, and I know it's on the heels of March Madness, and we're all going to be focused on on the big time games, the D1 tournament. But watching these kids play D3, to to use a little Yiddish, I am shepping a tremendous amount of nachas and Elliot Steinmetz, the coach, is a tremendous coach, uh, just a, an unbelievable upgrade from the coach that they had before who I had a cup of coffee for about two months on the practice squad with them my first year. The coaching upgrade is insane. The level of skill that these kids have. I mean, they shot 65% from three last night. Just ridiculous. So much fun to watch. So shout out to the YU Max. I've got the fever. Next Friday is uh, their next game, the Sweet 16. And who knows? Who knows, if you shoot 60% from three every game, you're going to have a chance. But kudos to those kids. Kudos to Elliot Steinmetz. Kudos to the players for making me be as proud as I've ever been to be a, a YU alum. That's where I'm at right now. With that said, we're going to bring in our guest, my buddy Michael Klein. We're going to talk about all things NBA in just a minute. I have a very, very special guest uh for uh, today's episode. Maybe the smartest guy I've ever spoken to on uh, on these airwaves. Uh, I have him in studio, Mr. Michael Klein. Mike, what's going on, man? How we doing? Uh,
2: doing very well. Uh, very excited to be here, and hopefully I'll live up to that billing. Although uh, we'll we'll see.
1: You uh, you're giving me a part of your Sunday yeah. afternoon. It's it's really great to have you in studio. Um, before we get into our topics. We're talking a lot of things, NBA. I mean, there are a couple of big games that happened this past week, a lot to talk about. Just give everybody a background on why I prefaced, uh, you, that, that you may be the smartest person, uh, that I've ever had on this podcast. Just a little bit of your background then we'll, we'll jump right in because I think it really makes sense for, for why I wanted to have you on. Uh, sure.
2: So I'm guessing that, uh, the reason you give me that, um, that very nice uh, a, a title. Which
1: Deserving, is deservingly almost so. Almost
2: certainly not true. However, um, I do have a very strong background in mathematics and analytics. I did a PhD from Yale in bioinformatics, um, which is basically statistics, data science, machine learning, applied to biology. Before that, uh, I started a PhD program in mathematics straight up mathematics at usc so uh, i guess i would claim that i have been uh, an analytics nerd long before it was cool to be an analytics nerd so
1: which is great because everybody who's listened to this show knows that i kind of push back against the a- the the way analytics is viewed in the, in the media and we're gonna debunk some of those theories which is which is and I'm looking I, I forward think, to talking about it. I think that's
2: completely fair because the reality is the the, the vast majority of the media that kind of is um, worshipping analytics are not actually you know experts with um, science or statistics, advanced degrees, and so they they actually kind of uh, get a lot wrong and they fit it to to fit. Their narrative, and I'm um, looking
1: forward to debunking some of that. Which is perfect because one of the big teams that uses analytics and and swears by analytics is the Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets have been a a real hotbed for for opinions this season. Uh, as as I've mentioned on this show in the past they they moved they've moved all in on small ball, essentially playing you know, completely five out since, uh, January 20th, uh, where, where they lost to OKC. They were 13 and six. Well, now they're 13 and seven after, uh, last night's loss. They've had some increase, in, I should say exceedingly impressive wins. They've had some weird losses. So you're a Rockets guy. What do you, what's your take on the Rockets? Just, just high level before we get, before we break it down here.
2: Sure. So, um, love talking about the Rockets. I am a Rockets guy for this year. Um, I guess I've been a Rockets guy intellectually. Um, but on a, on a more personal note, th- this has been a very interesting uh, Rockets season for me personally because Russell Westbrook is by far my favorite player for the last 10 years in the NBA. Which is
1: hilarious because... He is seen as the anti-analytics guy. And I'm a huge Russ guy myself, exactly.
2: by the way. That's exactly right. So so how to reconcile kind of my appreciation for analytics and love of math and and taking a very uh logical intellectual approach with this guy who the analytics are extremely unkind to and say that he's vastly overrated. And so now Russ joined the Rockets and um what do we see is happening? oh, wait, his efficiency has exploded. And I think that that alone, uh, you know, especially since December, since January, the guy is shooting 48% as a guard on extremely high volume. He's dominating paint points across the entire league. He doesn't even get foul calls. And it just shows you how much uh, uh, a player is a product of their coaching and their system. And the only thing that Westbrook has changed is he has better people telling him to take better shots and they've gotten through to him. And all of a sudden all the analytics arguments against him, I think kind of fall apart now that he's in an organization that prioritizes analytics.
1: So would you say that, uh, with, with the Westbrook thing, would you say that it's strictly because the lane is completely wide open Because, and I I say this, as you well know, I mean, there was data to support the fact that when he was playing with a traditional big in Steven Adams, when the Thunder had shooters around him and they were spaced, his pick-and-roll numbers with Adams were great. The problem is that, and you may have uh, an opinion on this a little bit later, so everybody bookmarked this, is that Oklahoma City didn't do a great job putting 3 and D guys around him. But now you kind of see that, and he's taking a lot of shots right now. He's taking over 25 shots a game, which is crazy. I mean, that's like Iverson levels in like 2001. I mean, it's really outrageous, and he's shooting close to 50%, and he's scoring more than four points a game in the paint more than anybody else. I mean, it's, it's nuts. But do you really think it's strictly because of the guys around him, or is it just like you know he's super healthy, feels spring with his knee. I mean, I mean, what do you attribute
2: this to? I think it's a combination of factors, and yeah, I'm I'm glad you kind of uh you know made that caveat because the first thing you said is with Stephen Adams and the pick and roll when the Thunder had shooters around him. When was that? The Thunder never had shooters around Westbrook. I mean, uh, obviously they had KD, but you see now that he he needs to thrive surrounded by shooters and um i think that there's a, there's a few factors you know there's some things you can't you can't explain by system for example um last couple of years, Westbrook's free throw percentage was really, really bad. Uh, it was like down to 62 percent. He was of the miserable years.
1: from the line last year.
2: And now it's back to 80 percent. So, you know, there's nothing like there's clearly some individual aspect, whether injury or psychology. So I, I'm not going to say the system can explain everything. But with that said... Um, he has be, they have said you know what you are a dominant one-on-one scorer and if we can just get out of your way and you can make the right pass if you get double teamed and they've just let him loose like that and i i think that that combined with a very very underrated piece of this is that the the rockets have been resting Westbrook on back to back so he sat out 11 games this year cuz he had arthroscopic knee surgery and i think that He's the kind of guy who's never going to want to sit out the ultimate Iron Man. He played, like, the first 439 games of his career before Beverly. You know, we all know about what Beverly did to him after I still the timeout. Hold, I still hold a
1: grudge uh, on about, I should say, towards Patrick Beverly about that play, but continue.
2: Of course. So, so I think that the job of an organization and a coach is, uh, and a GM is to, you know— Don't let these players get in the way. Like, what makes Russ so great can also hurt him because he's never going to want to sit out. So they're forcing him to rest, and you're really seeing that he's so fresh every game. He's jumping out of the gym, and uh, I do really attribute a lot of it to the combination of rest and and the fact that he is surrounded with four shooters and, I mean... The results, it's plain as day. You watch them play. The guy is just looks as explosive as ever. He's dominating. He's finishing at the rim. And I do actually think his shot attempts are a little inflated. And the reason for that is because he doesn't get a lot of calls. So he doesn't go to the foul line. So maybe somebody else like Harden or Giannis or or LeBron is shooting 22 shots a game, but they're going to the line that much more. And those aren't counting as Mm -hmm. uh, field goal attempts. But... Yeah, so I think it's It's uh,
1: interesting you say that because and there are a couple of things that we want that we're going to talk about with Houston. First of all the high level of you know them as, as an organization and what they're doing towards Russ and subsequently towards Harden, which we're going to, which we want to talk about in a second. But I do think you brought up a good point that because Russ is so f- physically imposing, even at 6'3", I mean, he's he's arguably the best pure athlete in the league. And he's so strong that when he goes to the rim, I don't necessarily think he gets the benefit of the doubt a lot. I mean, sometimes LeBron is like this too because he's just so strong. Giannis, these guys were so strong. I mean, Shaq. I mean, I know we're talking about like small forwards who who handle the ball in, in like Shaq, but I mean, Shaq was so physically imposing that like. You could go into each individual game saying Shaq is going to shoot 20 free throws and not even with the hack of Shaq stuff, just because across his arms, or you're going to go into a game with the officials and be like, we can't give Shaq every single call. We just can't because the, the game can't be played that way. It just can't. I think Russ sometimes, you know, doesn't get the respect from the officials that he deserves.
2: I agree with that. He is one of those players that's hard to officiate. Um... And I think there's a, a psychological component also, which is like people don't like Russ. They don't like how demonstrative he is. The re, they don't like how he screams and won for calls, how he scowls. And I, I kind of get the sense that the refs have this subconscious, uh, you know, desire not to reward uh, him in particular. I also think a lot of the media narrative around him is like people just think people don't they just don't like the way how demonstrative he is and. Um, I think it leads to an unfair media narrative and I think sometimes it hurts him with the refs.
1: Well, it's funny because I think the unfair media narrative in terms of calls is towards Harden because he flops and openly flails his limbs. And we'll get to Harden in a second, but he openly flops and flails his limbs to try and sell calls. And the referees have been duped before. And I think that, you know, at a certain point and in the playoffs, when they study this, they're like, we're not giving you this shit anymore. Right?
2: Yeah. So, um, is that the reason? Is it the call? The difference in how the games are officiated is that the reason Harden has kind of come up small in the the playoffs. It's a it's a valid argument. I think that um, I'm a big believer in a competitive situation. Like you have to take advantage of everything you can take advantage of. So I don't fault him for trying to get these calls, and I, I do think he is legitimately um, fouled a lot of the time. I think he's. Definitely kind of tricking the defense into fouling him, and maybe sometimes he's selling calls they shouldn't, but as a guy who's rooting for the Rockets this year, uh, especially because they have Westbrook and because, you know, it would validate to some extent the the analytics uh, approach, um, even though I think from they do some dumb things from an analytics perspective.
1: Which we'll get to in in just a second.
2: But but yeah, I I like when Harden tries to draw fouls. Um, I do think he should take some more mid range shots. We could talk about that. But uh, I, it's not really a, a criticism I have of Harden. And in general, um, I didn't want to be a Harden guy. I was like one of the idiots who thought like, oh whatever, like not a big deal when OKC traded him. Like you know, and no idea he'd become a top five player, but. At this point, I think I I can't deny how great of an offensive player he is.
1: So before transit, and that's a good transition. We're going to transition into Harden in a second. But just to, with Westbrook specifically, it seems like over when the Rockets got hot and they've cooled off a little bit, and we'll get to, to see if this, you know, system and this way of play can really sustain itself. Um, but it seems like the Rockets have... Kind of shifted in a sense where Russ seems to be the alpha dog of the team now. Like the team is taking on his personality, for better or for worse, because we've seen Russ, you know, flame out spectacularly in the playoffs. Also, we've seen Harden come up small in the playoffs, and we're gonna talk about Harden in a second. But Russ brings, and and this is why I always defend Russ, he brings an energy where it's just like. I don't care if I'm not having a night I'm going to go down swinging and I'm not and I'm not going to like loaf it and you're always going to get my 110% and whether you think he's the best player on the team or not I think it's a little closer than everybody else thinks but having that alpha dog personality is better because James Harden doesn't have that and I think what gives the Rockets hope is that Russ, through the sheer force of his will, and sometimes that will backfires, and it could easily backfire, but I do think it gives them that chance and that variance that the Rockets need to get over the hump. Now, as we've seen, and, and we're going to touch on all of this in a little bit, but playoff basketball is very different than regular season basketball, right? In a playoff series, it takes on a, a mind of its own. But I, but don't you see the shift fr- from it being Harden's team to it's Russ's team a little bit? Have you seen that, or is it just me? Uh,
2: so you touched on a lot of things there. Um, before I answer exactly about whether it's... I, I think it's, you know... Harden has earned for this to be his team, you know, I mean, Russ is playing out of his mind, but, but, uh, I think it's a little too strong to say that, you know, just like Paul George outplayed Westbrook for a lot of last year, but that was still Westbrook's team, you know, even if we say West, Westbrook's outplaying, uh, Harden right now. But, but with that said, what what you touched on is really something about Westbrook's greatness. And, Actually, you said how he is a, a freak athlete and a generational athlete, and I almost think that that um, it kind of is, is a little unfair to him, because what I really think he is, is he's a freak of mental toughness, and um, with his durability and his ability to never be tired, like, I don't think that that's just genetic, like, I think he works on that, and...
1: He's a workout guy. And we'll I, get into workout guys in a second, but and he's a what I,
2: exactly. Guy. And what I think, and what this is what you're saying, is that he brings this intangible, which is he inspires people. He inspires me as a Westbrook fan, but he inspires his teammates. And talk, you see Austin Rivers saying, you see how hard this guy plays every single day. Like he want to run through a wall for him. You heard the same thing in OKC. People say he's selfish, he takes bad shots. Well, you know who's not saying that? His teammates, maybe, except for Durant. But
1: people... I have like, my thoughts on Durant, but we're going to leave that to another show.
2: But the bottom line is this is something that the analytics is in measuring. And, like, you look at Russ's career, outside of his rookie year, his worst season is winning 45 games in OKC after he was ditched by Durant. They made a terrible move getting rid of Harden, like... That has to count for something. He is—he is a winning player. His teams have always been winning, and you know, I have. To, even though I agree with you that there's a certain alpha that and uh, you know confidence that Westbrook brings to the team, but you also have to give Harden credit for the fact that he's never been on a losing team his entire
1: career either. No question. No question. Um, so, so did I? Sh- did right. I answer all your questions? Yeah, yeah. yeah and, I, and I, it's yeah. and yeah, and and. It, <laughs> The Rockets are interesting because all these issues kind of like mold into one, and 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 we'll get to all of it. So I, I want to transition to Harden because Harden is, you know, he's putting up monster numbers. I mean he he's doing his thing again in the regular season, and even with Westbrook ascending statistically, it's not like Harden is has dropped off that much in a little a little bit, but Harden has been exceedingly, exceedingly streaky, right? Where he will have stretches where he's exceedingly hot and then he can have stretches uh, with the, um, you know, where he's exceedingly cold. Well, he'll have like a three for 17 from three type night. Um, and the, and here's why you, you're like the perfect person to speak to about this because all I hear by analytics guys and I say that in quotations is that Harden is super efficient Harden is super efficient right and then when you look at the box score I know there's I know numbers need context and all that stuff but when you watch Harden play and he's having one of those off nights and even if he's getting to the line so if he has a stat line like for example, 33 points where he shoots six for 22 from the field. He's four for 17 from three, but he finishes with 32 points because he got to the line a whole bunch of times, but you can't tell me that's efficient offense because four for 17 is a lot of misses and especially misses from three, you know, can lead to fast break points the other way. And it's almost as if NBA Twitter and certain people are telling me that the misses from 3 are are more valuable than taking a less contested shot but you could see like he takes some horrendous horrendous shots and early in the shot clock too I mean you have a couple of things to to answer here but just give me your 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 high level take on Harden and then and then you know talk about what you, what you see here Absolutely and this
2: is like um you know touches on analytics you know 101 First of all, anybody who tells you that Harden shooting four of 17 from three is a, an efficient game, that's ridiculous, right? The, the, and right now, I, I would actually push back that he's kind of doing his thing. He's actually had one of the coldest streaks uh, of his career. He, um, he's currently, I think, six of 41 on his last 41 threes in the last uh, handful of games. So, so, so but the basic idea to answer your question is, Let you might think Harden's setback three is a, is a terrible shot because we play basketball and the guy's dribbling 10 times and takes a crazy contested setback. But the bottom line is if he can make that shot at a 35% clip,
0: mm-hmm.
2: then it's a great shot. Then it's better than a two, right? Then the expected number of points for that shot attempt is 1.05 points. So mm-hmm. that's better than... A fifty percent two point shot, forty eight percent two point shot. But now, if he's in a situation where he's become predictable, or he's tired, and defense, you know, and all of a sudden his step back three is now down a thirty percent, which seems like it has been for a bit of time right now, then the analytics community would also say that that's that's unacceptable, and that that he should drive more. And if they're overplaying him so that his so that instead of 35% on a step back now he's at 30% on a step back but meanwhile if he can take a floater now at 53% then the analytics community and Daryl Morey should say you know what James based on the way they're defending you actually you should take these mid-range shots because they're overplaying your your step back 3 with that said i think this Harden step back 3 is the single most potent weapon in the NBA, but it just hasn't been that good for a long time right now. It was really good at the beginning of the season, and this is what's frustrated me about the Rockets this year, is, like, Westbrook started off slow, inefficient, unsure. Harden started off incredible, and now they've kind of flipped, and they can't really seem to get on sync where they're both playing efficient ball at the same time. And part of that is... I think Harden really has suffered from the Capella trade because even though it's opened things up from Westbrook, Harden did benefit a lot from having a pick-and-roll game with
1: Capella. Interesting, because I think both both you and I liked what Houston did at the trade deadline. 100%. And it's funny that you think it actually has, has negatively affected Harden.
2: Potentially. But let me get to my main take on, on the Rockets. I think this is a good segue because... The real thing that has hurt Harden is overuse. Now let me read you some, uh, just a couple numbers on the top players in the league, okay? So so Giannis has missed four games this season. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. I'm going by games missed because teams play different amounts, but he plays 31 minutes a game.
1: Well, a lot of that is because their point differential, and we're going to get to the Bucks in a little bit, but their point differential is such where they're blowing teams out and he doesn't have to play that much.
2: Absolutely, but the bottom line is the, the, just the total burden of minutes on him is, that's just what it is, right? Anthony Davis missed eight games, 34 minutes per game. Kawhi missed 13 games, 32 minutes per game. Westbrook has missed 11 games, which I already said has had a huge impact, 36 minutes. A guy like CP3, amazingly, has only missed one, uh, one game, but, He's only playing 32 minutes a game. Chris Middleton, he's missed seven games, 30 minutes per game. So now, who's the exception to this rule? James Harden. He's missed three games, and he's playing 37 minutes per game. The other guy who's, you know, just like, just shows you how great he really is, is LeBron has only missed three games, and he's at 35. But if we'll you get,
1: ta- And we'll get to him in a second.
2: But if, right. If you take into account these two measures of, uh, of of workload, which is how how many games are you playing, and then how many minutes are you playing per game, Harden is the the most worked, overworked star in the game, and I think more than anything that's really hurt them. And and something that I was looking into preparing for this podcast was, I looked at the last uh, since December, Westbrook has sat out nine games. Okay. And let me just read you really quick, um, in reverse order: loss at Charlotte by nine. This is the, the the Rockets are four and five in these nine nine games. Um, actually, some of these might be out of order, but yeah, a loss at Charlotte by nine, win at home versus the Knicks by eleven, loss at Phoenix by thirty six, win at Charlotte win versus Charlotte at, by fifteen. Win at Utah by 9 in a really weird game that Harden and Capella didn't play also. Eric Gordon dropped 50 that game. Loss at Memphis by 11. uh, Win versus Atlanta by 7. Loss by 15 at New Orleans. Loss by 8 at Detroit. So the the huge criticism I have is that's really bad. They've gone 4-5 and with losses to Detroit, Phoenix, Charlotte, Memphis, New Orleans. Double-digit losses. And honestly, I don't think you could, like, what do you think? If they had sat Harden and Westbrook for all nine of those games, they would still probably have beaten the Knicks. They still probably would have gotten at least one and one against Charlotte. They, you know, they would have had a good chance of beating Phoenix. They would have beaten Detroit. Like, would they, they probably would still be four and five and Harden would now have nine more games of rest. And I think he, he'd be doing a lot better
1: right now. So there, there are a couple of things here, uh, there are a couple of things here. Uh, I, I would say that I think there's an institutional problem in Houston and, and Mike D'Antoni specifically that he's run guys into the ground before. He, he did it with the Knicks and Amari Stoudemire. He's done it in the, he's done it in the past the Bulls. a couple of times. And it's just like, this is his thing. He has a short rotation and he, He just, he works guys like his lead horses like crazy, which is funny because like Steve Nash, when he was in Phoenix, like Nash didn't really break down so much. So he's kind of like the outlier and not that Harden's breaking down, but you see that he plays him a ton of minutes. If I remember correctly, Nash,
2: uh, Nash's minutes were a lot lower. I think he was at like the 29. Maybe you
1: you may, you may be correct about that, but But yeah. There is a thing that 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 D'Antoni likes to run dudes into the ground. So, the, now having said that, having said that, uh Harden doesn't have any major injuries to speak of. Like he hasn't had surgery on his knees, so I mean he's gonna play. He's gonna and he wants to play minutes. But one of my biggest criticisms of Harden is is that Harden. And this is reported by other guys. Like we mentioned Westbrook's a workout guy. We mentioned that, you know, Kobe in the offseason, rest in peace, he was a workout guy. LeBron is a workout guy. Their guy, Giannis, is a workout guy that they are training 12 months a year. I mean, yeah, they take some time off, but they're training almost 12 months a year, dedicating to their bodies for the long grind of a season. Harden is not wired that way. He's just not. He's not wired that way. I like the I've seen too many weird videos of him doing a boxing training where he's got a gut. And it's like, and again, I'm faulting Dan Tony for this a lot, but I mean, you know what the deal is. You've been with Dan Tony for X number of years now. Like you know that you're gonna be playing a lot of games. A lot of games, you're gonna be playing long seasons. It's on you to who's the franchise player. You need to train all year round and dedicate yourself and train your body to be able to withstand this. Because when you get tired in the playoffs, like, ultimately, that's on you. You train in the offseason to be able to be fresh later on. And D'Antoni's got to do a better job of managing minutes because it's harder to play now than it ever has been because guys are more athletic, there's more running involved, there's more quick twitch things going on. But you need, you need to put in that work. If you want to be super, super great, like you're great already because you're supremely talented and skilled. But if you want to be in that top tier that in in the pantheon of NBA history, it's a 12 month a year job. Yeah. So I have to
2: put a lot more of the blame on D'Antoni and Daryl Morey. Uh, I, I don't think it's really that fair to say that Harden, you know, has a gut. Um, you know, maybe compared to some of those other guys, but the guy—I mean, the guy is shredded. His 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 left arm is like uh, the biggest arm I've ever seen in my life, and big <laughs> big,
1: big, big shoulders. And, and he and uses his, yeah. bo- his
2: his his width. So so I think that you know you want, I, on, I would agree. He,
1: you want him to get lean though, so he has those legs. You don't want to necessarily putting on more muscle. You. You want Harden to be leaned out. You want him to be like 9% body fat lean so he's not carrying that weight later on. And and we're not excuse. And, and you're gonna we're gonna roast D'Antoni and Mari in a second, but we can't excuse Harden for if he's carrying extra weight, knowing that he's gonna play these long seasons. Like you you know what the deal is. Like this isn't your first rodeo.
2: So my take is that um if Harden doesn't change his workout routine, if he doesn't change his body type, the only thing that changes is he plays the same number of games and minutes as Kawhi, I think the Rockets can win the championship. So so in that sense, I just think, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not fair to... Yeah, maybe that's not his strength and maybe his incredible skill is his strength, but like how durable is Steph Curry? You know, nobody gives, nobody gives Steph Curry a hard time about it. And, um, you know, historically, LeBron has rested or, he you know, maybe he hasn't sat games out, but he's rested in games by not playing defense. And well,
1: One of my biggest <laughs> LeBron criticisms.
2: So at the end of the day, if your competition, the other elite players are playing fewer games and fewer minutes, then, you know, why should Harden have the burden of not just winning a championship, but doing it? with more minutes and more games than these other incredible players like you know I just think it's 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 un, it's a little unfair to him uh and we don't really know how he would do if he if he was playing 70 games instead of 79 games right. and if he was getting 34 minutes instead of 37 38 minutes
1: and we're not going to go down the uh the whole of load management and the guys should look to play 82 i mean we're trying to avoid that i right think now. we both
2: agree on that which is like we hate load management but we at the do. end of the day if your opponents are doing it it's just plain stupid not to do it <laughs> uh,
1: yes i would agree and that's going to be something that the owners and the players association are going to talk about in the next cba because of load management uh in prime time games televising whatever we don't want to talk about that but so your biggest so we've talked about Dan Tony and the criticism of him running guys into the ground. It's one of my criticisms of him. So what are the others? And and then touch on Daryl Morey. Because Daryl th- Morey has been a lightning rod for a multitude of reasons.
2: Sure. Yeah. So it, it comes down. Um, so another guy with the running guys in the ground that gets us the worst is PJ Tucker. I mean, the, the guy worst. has missed zero games. I, don't re- I think he's played 81, 82, 82 the last three seasons. They're using him as a center. You cannot tell me, despite whatever he says, that you—it's not requiring more exertion to match up against guys who are much bigger than you. And um, so, so, so yeah. So that's number one: is is the stupidity of of not resting guys. And and there's a double stupidity in it because when you rest guys and you think about the Spurs when they would get fined by the NBA for resting uh, Duncan and Parker and Ginobili in a national televised game uh but you know what would happen they would win a lot of those games because it, you're empowering the rest of the team and you're you're the rockets are so shallow because not only in the sense of they don't have 10 good players so they do have you know maybe 8 or 9 good players but they don't they have no one who can initiate an offense other than there's they have no one who can facilitate their offense other than Westbrook and Harden And you could have this double benefit of getting your getting hard and rest and empowering other guys so that you have more diversity. And in general, the problem with the Rockets is I love small ball. I love analytics. I don't even buy at all that, like, in a seven-game series when teams can prepare for small ball, you know, I know that's what everybody says. It works in the regular season because you take them by surprise. That's not the problem. The problem is in a seven-game series, even with small ball, You need to make adjustments and you need to be able to play more than one way. And Westbrook does give them that dimension, but like, it's not enough. It's not, D'Antoni has this vision of basketball, but he's not taking into account that the fact that you're a little predictable and there's an opportunity, if your opponent thinks you're predictable, they're going to overplay your tendency. You need to counter that, right? Like that's what every great coach does. And D'Antoni kind of is like, we're going to stick with what we're doing. We're going to just keep launching these threes. But, but you know, if they're overplaying the threes, then you're going to get – it's time to pump fake and take, take some uh, high percentage uh,
1: 10-footers. I'm glad you said that. Okay, <sighs> so I think the game on Thursday night against the Clippers really illuminated this. And Chris Webber killed the Rockets on the broadcast for the way they played. And he was talking about guys taking different types of shots, right? That the Rockets mandate is basically layups or threes, layups or threes. And it doesn't matter who's shooting them, layups or threes. But a couple of issues with this. One, as you just said, the in the playoffs specifically, and you saw it in that, that night against the Clippers, they basically were like, we're not letting you shoot threes. If you're going to drive by us, great but we're going to give you that 10 to 15 foot pocket. Are you going to take it or not? And they were stubborn and they're not going to take it. And they've been stubborn over the years. And that's what leads to, you know, an 0 for 27 stretch against the Warriors and you lose playoff games, right? Then the other thing is, and that's been my criticism of the Rockets for for years now, because for everybody saying the mid-range game is, is inefficient, like Kawhi Leonard just won a title hitting mid-range jumpers. You got to do it. Giannis Antetokounmpo is working on his mid-range game because he knows that in the playoffs, that's what happens. LeBron
2: also, in the post, he goes to that post-up fadeaway, which to his credit, I never thought he'd have, but that is really an unguardable shot in the playoffs when you need two points.
1: Precisely. And the second, and the and the other thing is, you know, I'm, I'm using like a, a Bill Simmons, Ryan Russillo quote here, but it's like, Michael, you and I have played basketball before, <laughs> right? On, on some level. When you're the other guys watching Harden and Westbrook do what they do, right? And you're literally just standing there waiting for catch and shoot opportunities. We, I, I, I've been the lead ball handler. I've been a complimentary guy. You want to feel like you're getting into a flow, like you're getting a sweat, like there's no back cuts. There's no side action on the other sides. So you're just literally, they're playing street ball over there. It's like, the guy who catches it is gonna go do his thing. Guy who's gonna catch it, go, do his thing. There's no movement, right? There's no movement because you don't want the you don't want to clog the driving lanes. But when you're standing there and you're cold, and then all of a sudden the sh- the standstill shots don't go in, it's because you haven't done shit for the entire game, and then you're expected to hit a knockdown three. Like, that's a little ridiculous, no?
2: Oh, okay, so. I agree and disagree. I, 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 think that, you know, you and I are not, you know, these guys can make open threes. The reason the, the reason the Rockets went three of 33 against the Clippers last game is because the threes they were taking were not good shots. They were contested. And that all starts with Harden and Westbrook have to either win in isolation convincingly to draw the double teams or else they're, they're screwed. If Harden's step back is being guarded by one guy and he's missing, and if he's not, if he's not the most dominant isolation player in the league, then everything falls apart because they don't have the personnel to do anything other than 3 and D guys. With that said, the thing that I like the most about what you said is, you watch what the Rockets do on, um, Defensively, and they're a switch everything team. And one way teams get easy buckets against them is they'll they'll slip the screens and they'll get layups or or, or they'll cut. And the Rockets just make it too easy on the defense by having those guys stand around, like ha- like like ha- have some slashes to the basket off ball. Don't just stand at the three point line the entire time because Westbrook and Harden, it's like their passing is not even being y- utilized. They're both ha- have led the league in assists. Westbrook, I think his passing has somehow deteriorated this year, but it's because nobody's moving without the ball. So uh, so I agree that there's kind of like um, an exaggeration that, that really lets the defense off the hook. Like in general, focus on your ISO players, focus on them getting three-point shots, try to get layups, try to get to the line, but you need to just mix in like 10% more cutting and, you know, uh, off-ball action and, And that that can make all the difference. And so so maybe not 10 percent, maybe 20 percent. You know, uh, it it really does look pretty silly to see four guys standing at the three point line and, you know, not even cutting to the basket.
1: The movement will empower their teammates to make them feel like they're playing a game as opposed to just like standing there. Um. Agreed. The the other the other thing, so I mean, ultimately you just said it, you still think, even with Westbrook doing his thing, that Harden is still the key to the Rockets playoffs so hope. He's the ultimate key to their playoff hopes. I think they have no
2: chance unless Harden is the most dominant isolation player in the NBA. And I believe the stats right now show that Westbrook and Harden are number one and number two, but but the reason Harden is the key is because Westbrook has actually been really consistent, and I trust in Westbrook's consistency. He looks fantastic this year. He's He he looks as—honestly, I think this is the best ball he's played in his whole career. But for them to compete, like, you know, I also think that the Rockets get bucketed in with, like, the Clippers and Lakers and Warriors as a super team. They're not a super team. These guys <laughs> didn't—these guys came together by trade, you know? Right, right. This isn't uh, like like the, the the Clippers were able to take the Warriors to six games last year and then they add Kawhi and PG. And then you know, meanwhile, LeBron forces Anthony Davis. Like every, every free agent wants to go to those two teams, you know. So I, I think the Rockets, you know, get unfairly bucketed with those other super teams. Um, but with that said, yeah, that's why they're so reliant. Everything they do... Only makes sense if Harden is superhuman in isolation basketball. And that's, that maybe is Daryl Morey's fault. A lot of it is Eric Gordon because Eric Gordon's supposed to be that third guy and he's been awful this year. I don't know what the deal is. I think it's injury related, but um, ultimately the Rockets only have a chance if Harden Is dominating if he's hitting his step back, if he's creating shots, because Westbrook is dominating. Westbrook is playing very efficiently. He's getting a lot of assists. He's scoring a lot, but they they need it to come from Harden also.
1: One one last point, because then we're gonna we have three final like quick questions about the Rockets, and then we gotta move on to other stuff because we've spoken a lot about the Rockets. But but there's passing for assists and then there's passing to move the ball. And the Rockets pass for assist. They don't pass to move the ball and I think that's a major major problem for for the other guys. So with that being said, three last questions. 1. Ultimately, does this style can this style of play win in the playoffs? 2. Besides for the Clippers who they have no chance of beating in a playoff series, who's the other team that they should fear the most? And 3. When this fails cuz I think it will. So I I answered my opinion for number one. What happens to this Houston team?
2: Okay, so one, can this style win? My opinion is categorically yes. This style of isolation, minimal passing per possession, dribbling, the stuff that Bill Simmons hates. I'm a big Bill Simmons fan, but, you know, I personally disagree that, that that's the reason. The reason... It's not going to work, and I agree it's not going to work. is For one thing, the competition is excellent, but for another thing, it's it's the things we talked about. They're not sprinkling in. In other words, when I say, can the small ball style work? The answer is yes, but you need to be somewhat... Like if, if 80% of your offense is these isolations, one or two passes per possession, open threes, I think that's an excellent recipe for success, but you need to add a little bit of unpredictability, and you need more depth. It's in the sense of you need to get you need your your superstars to be really fresh so those are the reasons it's not going to work mm-hmm. but in theory with a slightly better coach and maybe a slightly better uh roster i, I think that this style could win a championship
1: okay so that's one two i mean w- who do besides we for the Clipper, besides for the clippers who's the rockets right. know, biggest in, in- impediment to uh potentially making the finals
2: it's the lakers i know that that's you know there's Interesting, like cause... some some trendy picks otherwise but the bottom line is i'm terrified as a Rockets fan of lebron james in the playoffs and uh you know i'm it's not that i'm honestly more scared of lebron than ad uh, i'm not scared of ad and dwight and Javale destroying them on the boards that's not it at the end of the day None of these guys can guard LeBron, and if it comes to a Game 6 or a Game 7 and he has to, you know, get himself down in the post and go to work, he's just going to do it. And
1: uh, that's that's why it's the Lakers, because of LeBron. Interesting. And we're going to get to some Lakers thoughts here because I actually have a Rockets-Lakers thought. But And three, lastly, what do you think happens if uh, this experiment fails?
2: Boy, yes. Yeah, so – um I think Daryl is probably going to get fired because I think the ownership was pretty upset about uh, the China stuff. I think D'Antoni is going to go. I mean, he's, you know, kind of in a lame duck situation anyway. I think they're stuck with Harden and Westbrook. So um, I don't know. It depends also how you define failure. Like if they make the conference finals and lose in seven, I would hope they would bring it back and hope that. They can add a couple little pieces.
1: But I don't think the owner thinks that way.
2: Yeah, so, uh, I think that if they keep Harden and Westbrook and Covington and, um, I, I don't see them being irrelevant anytime soon. I think no, I, that, don't think,
1: I don't think they're going to be irrelevant, but I, do, I don't think, think, think...
2: They might be one of those teams that, like, makes the playoffs for a bunch of years in a row and loses in the second round, and, um... You know, sadly, that could end up being Harden and Westbrook's legacy, and I, I hope it's not, but and, that's definitely... That's I don't see how they can make moves to Right. who's going to take Westbrook right now. Like, um, they're not going to move off of Harden. I mean, I really can't see that happening.
1: Yeah, so I think I agree with you. I think Maury will be gone. I think D'Antoni will be gone, and they're going to be this, you know, second-round team, and, and there's no shame in that because... Y- I know we talk about you know title or bust, uh, and and it's it's wrong, and you should be competitive. And I I give them a tremendous amount of credit for for going for it when the Warriors are doing their thing that they went for it. But my biggest thing about the Rockets before we move on is that they've talked a lot of noise in the media, whether it's Daryl Morey on Twitter, whether it's whether it's Mike D'Antoni in the media, that they're always slighted. And at the end of the day, you got to win. And they talk like they're a team that has been cheated out of winning a title. And that's not the case. And that's why I've always – that's why I can't stand the Rockets because it's it's all the other crap that comes, you know, in play with them. And I – I just think they're, they're going to have to make, you know, wholesale changes. Uh, it's a lot of Rockets talk, but and we're going to sprinkle it in the next section. So uh, a big game this weekend was uh, the Bucs and the Lakers. Uh, two best records in the NBA. The Bucs go into L.A. lose by 10, 113-103. to 103. Giannis had a big game. LeBron had a big game. LeBron was fantastic. Um, first question, uh, I've been on this Bucs thing all year. I have said multiple times that I think they're going to win the title. Uh, there, you know, the the net rating statistics and certain statistics have backed me up on this. They've only lost ten games. Should I be nervous about my Bucks pick based on what we saw Friday night?
2: I think you should be nervous. I, I never like to say based on what you saw in in one game, but I think that. I was kind of in the same boat as you. I mean their their point differential, their net rating is out of this world. They have this amazing record, but but uh right now they're uh what are they? They have ten losses, they're I
1: think they're fifty three and ten.
2: Fifty three and ten. So, you know, maybe they'll end up seventy and twelve or sixty nine and thirteen. Like it's not it's not a guarantee to win the championship. And I and I also think that um ultimately you know it started with the warriors the year before they got durant when they gave up the 3-1 lead to lebron when they went 73 and 9 i mean the dominance in the regular season for whatever reason and maybe it has to do with load management and different teams prioritizing it to a different extent it just doesn't mean seem to mean As what much, it used to right. so the fact and, and then the other thing that which is a uh, Something I feel very strongly about is that the the East is far inferior to the West, and I know the Ringer came out uh, with some 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 data in December to say that the East has finally caught up to the West. But I have my own, you know, very simple uh, winning percentage data right here that says that that's totally not the case. The well, Lakers. Do, well, hold on. Yeah. So do tell,
1: because on one of my past episodes, uh, I made a case. That, and this is, you know, uh, and again, this was before the Rockets kind of had their, their come to Jesus moment about going all in on small ball. Denver, and we're going to touch on Denver in a little bit. I'm still not there. And I thought that Boston, Toronto, and Miami would be, you know, top tier caliber teams in the West. They'd be on the same level as the Rockets, Denver, and not the Clippers, but like Utah for sure. So what, so what so, say you?
2: Okay, so let's start exactly with those teams you mentioned. Okay, the Raptors, great story, not a believer. Neither
1: S- am I, by the way.
2: 75% winning percentage versus the East, 64% versus the West. Boston, 72% winning percentage versus the East, 62 versus the West. Meanwhile, Utah, 77% versus the East, 57% versus the West. Miami, 71% versus the East. Shocking 48%, 13 and 14, versus the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is, at the top of the conference, the the top teams, the good teams, are ha- across the board. There's one exception, which is the Los Angeles Lakers, are much better, have much better winning percentages against the East than against the West. And all of the East teams one through six are overrated and the west teams one through six are underrated as a result
1: interesting so i mean and winning percentage isn't necessarily perfect in a sense because you have the back-to-back stuff you don't know who's playing whatever but i think it sure as a high level i think it's a good indicator because you know, as much as we try and get super smart about sports, it's like there are two outcomes. Either you win or you lose. And who did you beat and who did you not beat, right? So I agree with you on a lot of this stuff. But with the Bucks specifically, the Bucs have performed exceedingly, exceedingly well against the top of the Western Conference. Specifically, okay, they split with the Lakers and they've beaten the Clippers and they've handled the Rockets. And they, they played
2: the Rockets the first game of the season. I believe it was a 1-point win in Houston. Um
1: Right, it was a, and it was a big comeback. Yeah. And it was a big comeback. So So again, I mean it is is the is the reaction to this one loss Friday night a little overblown for for uh the Bucks because you know, teams that like break through we're always skeptical until they actually do it, right? Like we saw it with the Warriors in 2015, like a jump shooting team can't win a title. And then all of a sudden they won a title, right? And then it was like, you need shooters everywhere. You need shooters everywhere. And now I think the Bucs are getting in the opposite sense because their best player plays more like Shaquille O'Neal than he does Steph Curry. It's like, if he can shoot, you know, but...
2: What he really plays like is a seven foot tall Russell Westbrook, which is why he's right. Which is why he's an insane, incredible player. <laughs> insane,
1: right? He's I I think he's the best player in the league. So are we doing that thing with the Bucks? And rightfully so, because it's a results based business. What have you done for me lately? I mean, they lost four straight games in the in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Are we doing that thing with the Bucks where it's like either like we're, gonna, we're not going to give them the benefit of the doubt until they actually do it.
2: Right. So I also think that uh, um, Budenholzer has a little bit of the, the D'Antoni syndrome, which yes. is he doesn't change things up. He's a system guy. He goes with his system and... He had what was that Atlanta team that he had? They had like sixty six wins, and then they flamed out in the second round. So
1: for Millsap, Jeff Teague teams that won the like sixty Corver, games. Yeah, I they think they
2: had like a sixty five win. they were the one seed. Yeah. So, so that concerns me that By you way, have a look, guy with just the for fruit everybody who didn't
1: remember LeBron. Wiped the floor with them with that with his Cleveland teams in the playoffs, just absolutely murked them exactly. And that's
2: because, among other things, LeBron James is a basketball genius. And if you're not going to change up what you're doing, he's going to exploit it. So. I have concerns about their coaching. I think Giannis is a fantastic player. I think you have to like their chances in the sense that I I don't really think anyone in the East is going to beat them mm-hmm. because, like I said, I don't think anyone in the East is that good. In my opinion, Boston's the second best team, and a lot of that is coaching. But um, and
1: Jason Tatum taking off. Jason Tatum,
2: absolutely, the guy is unbelievable, but he's not.
1: It's so like there, you he's said. There yet, I don't tears. think
2: he's ready. He's at the yeah, like these guys like Giannis is at the point in his career where he's ready to be a champion. I, you know Tatum I think is not there and I don't know if his ceiling is quite Giannis' ceiling, but um by man, the way, the Clippers hold on and that, Lakers, hold on
1: one second for all the Boston <laughs> fans out there. That's not a knock on Tatum. Right? Tatum's 21 20, he just turned 22. Like give the man a little time. But like Giannis it can be a Pantheon level player and Tatum. Well, even if his ceiling is a little bit below that, he's still awesome. So I just wanted to get that out there. Exactly.
2: Tatum's ceiling is, um, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to get destroyed for this, but it, his ceiling is to be like a top three MVP candidate for a couple years. Giannis' ceiling is to like win five MVPs,
1: <laughs> right? And there's a difference. There are levels to this. So the one last thing before we go to the Lakers, and then we want to get to our hot takes because we're going to have to go soon is that LeBron was fantastic in the post. And when he decided that he was going to play defense, that he was going to play defense. Um, but one last thing on the Bucs. Hold on one second. I just went a little bit out of order. Was the reason I think this Bucks team is different than those Hawks teams is because Giannis is the MVP of the league, right? The Hawks didn't have that. Like, like the Haw- the, the Bucks have this great collection of players around Giannis and Giannis is the super-duper star that makes it all work, right? So, yeah, I do trust that Chris Middleton's not going to be as horrendous as he was Friday night. Brooke Lopez wasn't very good on defense or on offense, for that matter, Friday night. Eric Bledsoe wasn't good. Uh, there was no George Hill who's shooting 50% from three. So I'm still on the Bucks bandwagon. I just think the, the Lakers, you know, I mean, if LeBron's going to bully ball in the posts like that. I mean, you got to tip your cap. He was, he was awesome. And Davis was awesome in the second half. But the thing about the Lakers is to give the Lakers pause, is Davis and LeBron scored every single point in the fourth quarter, every single point. And as I mentioned, the Bucks were on the road, didn't play well. And it was a four point game late in the fourth, right? Like the formula should have been Lakers in a bit of a route as good as the Lakers been, have been And they've been great. And LeBron has been great. Davis has been great. Do the Lakers have a little bit of this thing now where it's like they're more of a regular season beast than a playoff beast? Because after LeBron and AD, there are a lot of question marks.
2: Yeah, I think it's a very fair question. And I I think that I would say that if you uh, if you knew the you know kind of the truth of what's in the Lakers' heart, I think it's almost certain that they fear the Clippers significantly more than they fear the Bucks. Um, I would
1: agree with that. Yes.
2: I think that And not
1: just for basketball reasons, because they play in the same city and they've been oh, right. the other team has been talking a lot of garbage too. But I
2: I, I mean and I right. think the Lakers would walk into a whether or not they're right or not, I, I think that they would walk into a series with the Bucs feeling extremely confident um if it if they make it past if they make it to the finals. I think your point about LeBron and AD scoring all of their points, it's like yeah. That's not good to, you know, like your third best player is Danny Green, who, by the way, is like unbelievable this year. Uh, he's really balling, ultimate 3 and D guy. But if you're going to have two guys scoring all your points, you want it to be LeBron and AD.
1: Yes, <laughs> but can you win against really good teams? And I'm talking about Bucks, Clippers, and I know we just kind of crapped on them a little bit, but I think the Rockets, as we saw in the last time they played, can give the Lakers a bit of problems. I don't think they can beat the uh, beat them like the Clippers and the Lakers can. I mean, the, the Clippers and the Bucks can. But I don't think you can win four games against really good teams relying on two guys that much.
2: Yeah, so this is kind of a similar story with the Rockets, right? They uh, rely on Russ and uh, Harden, and except you'd say LeBron and AD are better than those two guys. So
1: I would say that, yes,
2: pretty much anyone would, uh, even the biggest Westbrook fans. Um, so ultimately, this this is kind of what makes the NBA such a there's so much drama, and it's such a players league where people are fans of the players because bottom line to answer your question the lakers chances depend on lebron james playing like the greatest player ever rocket's chances depend on james harden playing like the best player in the nba like these guys the teams are constructed in such a way that these guys need to have super heroic efforts and yeah we have seen it like the shack and kobe lakers some of those teams had scrubs like you had, uh, like Mark Madsen and, um, yeah, I can't even remember who was getting Slava, Slava Medvedenko was getting big Devon minutes. George. Exactly. So we have seen it. Um, but
1: the league, the league wasn't as deep then as it is now.
2: Right. But if you go, I mean, I, I don't think there, there's any team in the West that can beat the Lakers other than, uh, the Clippers. Yeah, and I'll, I'll throw in my Rockets in there if things, if everything breaks right. and uh, but, but realistically, the Clippers. It's
1: funny. <laughs> one th- last thing about the Rockets is I actually like their chances better, as crazy as this sounds, against the Lakers than I do against the Nuggets. Because Jokic, I think, gives the Rockets a tremendous amount of problem where AD isn't just as physical as Jokic is. He's not as much of a load, even though I think the Lakers are a better team. If that makes any sense at all.
2: I I do understand that from a Jokic uh, perspective, but okay. So you have Jokic is maybe more of a danger than AD, but then you have that other guy, LeBron James. Right.
1: (laughs) Okay. So one last thing before we let you go is we each have three kind of hot takes, hot NBA takes, spicy, uh, that we want to do uh, close the show with. So we'll start with your first.
2: Alright, so um I think I gave this one already. So um I don't know if I'm have three total. My first was that the East is vastly overrated. Okay. Which, um so you want me to go to number two? Go to number two. So number two is that this year's Clippers team would beat the Peak Warriors Durant team. Okay. Or or play them to a draw. Like, if they played 10 series, they'd win 5.
1: Wow, okay. And what was the third?
2: And then uh, the third is that Sam Presti is a very overrated GM.
1: Elaborate, please, because okay, I think so Presti I'll... is one of the three best general managers in the league.
2: Okay, so th- in my view, I break down being a GM into um, two kind of two broad buckets one is assembling a team um and making transactions and drafting players so Presti has a very good draft history it's a little overrated he hasn't drafted like a genius uh lately uh and he has worked miracles with trades I mean you cannot deny that what he did flipping Westbrook and George into this really exciting competitive team is is uh is really something great but the part that I think really bothers me about Sam Presti is I feel like he wasted a lot of Westbrook's prime years by not surrounding him with the right players around him and the right coach around him and not instilling a system like, you know, if if Westbrook was drafted by Popovich, I think he'd have a championship. You know, I think that Sam Presti... It's not just about, he's kind of like a great GM in like a fantasy sense, like who, who's going to get the most fantasy points, but he doesn't really, um, you, you know, build his team to optimize the strength of his players. And it's just really inexcusable to, to not put shooters around Westbrook and to kind of give Westbrook the keys and say, just do everything, create shots, have a ton of turnovers, average a triple-double like the Rockets offense, like Westbrook had to take bad shots. They didn't have anyone who could create shots. They didn't have guys who could hit open threes. And we're seeing right now, he's an infinitely more efficient player because he's in a system with Daryl Morey that's optimizing the roster for his strengths. And that's where I think uh, Sam Presti really so let like the Andre, thunder down. Uh,
1: right. So like even going back to Durant-Westbrook years, Andre Roberson, right, was a prominent figure. Andre Roberson could not not only shoot – threes, but he couldn't shoot free throws. So like, why wasn't a guy like Vince Carter on that team who could shoot free threes and, you know, create a, sh- I mean, I know he's older now, but like turned himself into a, a perfect role player. So I understand that, but it's also hard to, you know, get on the guy who, when he's assembled the draft capital that he has right now, where this Oklahoma city team was supposed to win in the mid thirties. They've already eclipsed that. And at one point he did draft three MVPs, but I, uh, but I agree with you that there was sort of roster malpractice, whether it was the coach or, you know, not getting a three and D guy to be able to play with those guys.
2: Yes. And I would say transactionally he's elite, his drafts, his trades, he's a wizard uh, transactionally, but that only gets you so far. He's the guy that's going to field a competitive team year in and year out because he's just very smart transactionally. But when it comes to optimizing his talent, especially when you're blessed through your own draft to have such incredible talent, he, you know, he's, he's the, he's like the guy who's gonna, he's good if you want to have a winning team every year. But I, I, I think that, he's lacking in some sophistication that other teams have to to, to really build a, a roster that the dynamic of the different players are complementary enough to put you over the top. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, so that's interesting stuff. So here are my 3. 1. The New Orleans Pelicans should look to sign and trade Brandon Ingram this summer. Sign him to a max deal and then trade him. Uh I just think that there's been a little uneasiness and again, it's a small sample size. Uh, with, I don't think he's as good as his numbers indicate. It's just a, a sense I get. And he's gotten very used to being the center of their universe. While Zion Williamson is now the center of their universe. Now, I'm not saying that there's a rift between the players, right? I don't think there's any chemistry issues in that sense with, with egos. Because Zion gets along with everybody. Ingram is not one of those guys. But... I think that, and the perfect trade may not be there. And you got to keep Ingram because, I mean, you have to keep the asset, right? But if you can get a couple of parts for Ingram, I don't know what the trade is. And Zion's the universe, Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball, and and plus defenders and shooters. I think there's something there. Because I think Zion Williamson, when he's fully healthy and in shape, is a top 10 player in this league going into next season already. That's number one. Number two, and this pains me as a Knicks fan, Kristaps Porzingis is light years better than Karl-Anthony Towns. I've said it, I've said this for years and people have pushed back on it. And that when he's healthy, he's a top three player in the league. I mean, not, not top three, a top 20 player in the league, an all NBA caliber player. I'm still really bullish on Kristaps. And number three is, Rudy Gobert. Um, Last year, I said that you could approximate seventy percent of Rudy Gobert with a guy like Javale McGee. I think I was underselling Rudy Gobert a lot because a lot of the way he screens and the intricacies, he's he's good. But I don't think Rudy Gobert is a max player because if you can't throw him the ball in the playoffs. And him generate offense, he's rendered useless. If the Houston Rockets play them in the first round, he's going to get played off the floor. You can't tell me that guy's a max guy. If you're getting played off the floor in the playoffs, I can't pay you over twenty million dollars a season. Yeah, so can. Uh, so I,
2: I agree, um, basically with all of those. I think that the the issue with the the max. Uh, yeah, listen. I think the Rockets aren't the only team. I don't think you could play Gobert much versus the the Clippers. Um,
1: well, a little bit more so because they play more traditionally. But but they
2: might go small now with Morris and uh, at the five, right? Um, the, the only thing is with the when it comes to the NBA salary cap, like this is kind of like a boring, very practical thing, is there's a ton of guys who have max contracts who shouldn't have max contracts because there's just not enough. Like Utah, yeah, sure. Is he, is Gobert worth it dollar for dollar? No, but who are, who you are getting? they getting right. instead, right? right? Like Tobias Harris, egregious contract. Like Al Horford, terrible contract. Like these guys aren't, the salary cap is just, there's just honestly there's not enough deserving max players so Correct. teams
1: need to pay someone but i i made that point as more of like people think of gobert as like always oh, one defensive player of the year he does all these great things around the rim and i'm not he's saying, overrated but actually. he's so overrated in terms of his value like there was a there was a a debate like Don, who's more valuable to the team? Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. And I never thought it was close. It right. was always Mitchell, and it will always be Mitchell.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think maybe Gobert is like this generation's uh, Dikembi Mutombo, except that Mutombo okay. played in a generation where you could get away with not having five guys who could play offense.
1: Correct. All right, with that said, Mike, this was awesome. This was a lot, a lot of fun. I know we're running a little short on time, but I really appreciate you taking part of your Sunday to chat with me a little bit. This was this was really a lot of fun. Educational, I think everybody's gonna enjoy this. Thanks so much, dude. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks again to my guest, Michael Klein. Awesome, awesome interview. Really in-depth stuff on the NBA. That's episode 72 for the love of the game. Take us out, Fabo.
0: Catch to the AB, it's in the maybe, rolling with my baby, gripping on a toy that you won't find. A KB, I on slick on ya, they don't have to put the hot lick on ya. What you know by letting dimes lick on ya? While you inhale, and it won't stop till they inhale, you see, and it don't stop till I tell them to breathe. Like a doctor with a stethoscope, I don't see no f- hope, unless these motherfuckers Yeah, Brooklyn got her, Uptown got her, the Bronx got a. Queens got a statin' now got a You got a You got a Everybody One and then the two, two Two and then the three three, three three and then the four Then you got a Then you got a Then you got a Breathe